Hello, everyone, and welcome to Expect a Miracle with Richard Roberts. I'm glad you joined me on the podcast today. My very special guest is Pastor William Luffman, who pastors Faith Outreach in Clarksville, Tennessee, one of the most beautiful cities in America. Pastor, God bless you. Welcome, and thank you for being my very special guest today. Well, I want to thank you for the invitation. Uh, what an incredible time we had with you just a couple of weeks ago. Our people are still buzzing over it. Uh, miracles and testimonies are still coming in two weeks later. So we, thank you for coming. We had lots of miracles, didn't we? Lots of testimonies of people healed by the power of God during those three days. We sure did. And, uh, you know, the great thing is the residue. You left a residual uh, anointing here. I stepped right into it the next time. I, I benefited from your anointing. So thank you for leaving some of that behind. Well, I thank God for that. Uh, I've known uh, Pastor William and his wife, uh, Ginger, for some time now. Been there with them several times. And I thought to myself, after after beginning to hear his story, I knew he would be a tremendous guest on this podcast and he would be a blessing to you. Pastor William, tell me a little bit about how you started and, and some of the stories you shared with me about Clarksville uh, when I was there. Just share a little bit of that about how you got started in ministry and, and a little bit of your life story. Well, uh, I'll give you the very short version of a long story. So there you go. Um, it, it really all started. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so I really lost my way, like most people do in their teen years. And I had a dream one night that I died and I'd gone into hell. And it was very vivid. It was very real. And my stepfather had been inviting me to church. So I decided it was probably time for me to go. So I went to church that Sunday. I don't remember a thing the preacher preached. All I know is he said, if you want to be saved, come forth. I shot up to the front of that little storefront church and kneeled down and got born again. And uh, two weeks later, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And before you know it, within a year, the Lord had called me into ministry. And I didn't know really much of anything, but other than, okay, I guess I'll find out what God wants and I'll try to follow him, you know, the best I can. And that was almost 45 years ago. Well, how did you get started though? How did you, how did you actually start ministering? I mean, you did, did you know anybody? Did you, were you already well, you couldn't have been involved in the church. You just got started by giving your heart to the Lord. How did you get started? Well, my pastor confirmed that I was called, you know, uh, a few months later. So for a while, I worked, you know, in the church, and I did what he asked me to do, taught Sunday school class. We preached at a nursing home. He told me to go one Sunday. I did. And a year later, he asked me to go out to uh, eat with him. And I told him I couldn't because I was going to the nursing home and preaching. He said, you mean you're still doing that? And I said, well, that's the last thing you told me to do a year ago. So. uh I said, yes, sir, I'm still going. And, you know, over time, I guess, you know, that kind of evolved. But uh, finally, I met Ginger, the love of my life, been married almost 39 years. And God put us into ministry almost immediately in the little denominational church we were in. And we worked that for a while. Then we were youth pastors for a while. And then in 1989, the Lord dealt with me and said, start a faith church in Clarksville, Tennessee. I want it to be a faith-based church. So, mm -hmm. Uh, from the teachings of your father, Brother Hagen and Brother Copeland and others that kind of had already been put in me. And so we started with $300 and we had eight people and we were in a paint and body <laughs> shop in the worst part of Clarksville. I showed you some of the good parts of Clarksville, but trust me, this was not the good part of Clarksville at all. So we started there. and No, we didn't have a pastor. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any people, but we had our Bible and we had our faith. And that was really the the humble beginnings, you might say. Well, now this is this is a, a good word to to someone who says, "Hey, I, I feel a call to ministry, but I don't have any money. I don't have a place to have services. Uh, I don't have any people. What do I do, uh, Pastor? This is a this is a good place for people to start. What do you think about that? 
Well, I believe you're right. You know, uh, the Bible's clear. It says, despise not the day of small beginnings. Yes. And, and I, you know, I think if you have, if you have God's call and you have the word of God, that's really the two things that you need to just go begin and, you know, start where you are, do what, with what you have. And, uh, you know, when the Bible says, if you're faithful over a few things, he'll make you ruler over much. And I am a living testament that if you are faithful over a few things, because we didn't have much. But we were faithful over it, and over time, God has blessed it. And as you know, because you've been to our church, so um, yeah, that's a word for you, for people out there, pastors, and people feel called. Don't give up and don't get discouraged. Don't worry about it. You do what God's called you to do. God will God will bring what you need. He's He's not only He's not only the God of vision, but the God of provision. Now there was a, quite a journey between that paint and body shop and that beautiful building that I preached in a few weeks ago. Can you share a little bit about the journey? Okay, well, yeah, we, we were in that place for about three years, and uh, we knew then we had begun to grow. We'd gotten up to about 70 people, and that's all that little building would hold. And we looked around for property. We still didn't have, we had $4,200 total in our building fund. So we knew we couldn't build a building, and we couldn't buy any land yet. So we went and looked for another lease building, and we found the abandoned police building that was downtown. Now, that's right across from the, from the new jail? Right across from the new jail, right now. And this building was old. It had been a boot factory uh, office before it was the police building. And they used it for interrogation. Uh, and we went in it one night on a November night. It was cold. The realtor showed it to us. We walked in. The ceiling tiles were on the floor. It was a total mess. It was damp. It was musky. It was old. It was cold. And my wife said to me, well, I thank God we're not going to get this one. But she didn't know secretly <laughs> inside of me. I felt like the Lord was saying, this is it. This is it. This is it. And um, so we walked through the building. It was considerably bigger than what we'd had before. And it just, I felt God say this was it. And so we made an offer. Uh, we contacted the real estate agent and he said, they'll never take this offer. There's a Jewish man that owns this building. And I can tell you, he will hold out for the last penny on this particular building. You cannot have it for that amount. And it was about 50% of what he had uh, asked for. And the next afternoon he called me, he said, I cannot believe this, but he accepted your offer. <laughs> and I said, all right, wow. So we went in there with $4,200 and we painted a whole lot of paneling <laughs> and we put down the cheapest carpet you could possibly find and, and took out a bunch of little cubicles where they've been, they've been interrogating people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we took those out and we made a sanctuary seated about 230 and we mm -hmm. began our ministry there. And we were there for eight years and we went from 70 to 1200 people in that little building every single Sunday and had to have four services on Sunday just to get all the people in and out. Well, now what about the inmates that were hanging out the windows, looking through the bars uh, next door? Well, uh, we had developed a relationship with them. So we would go over there and <laughs> preach and teach, you know, and just spend time with them. Well, it got to the point where we're, we would roll in on Sundays, the parking lot faced where their little cubicles where they had little, I'm gonna say four inch wide slender windows that they could open part of to get, I guess, fresh air and mm -hmm. sunlight in. And they would open those up. And when we would roll in, they would holler out the window, pastor, pastor, pray for me today. Please say a prayer for me today. And uh, we would say, we're going to, and they would start clapping and cheering when they saw us pull into that parking lot on, on Sundays and Thursdays, which is when we had our midday or midweek service. <laughs> that is that is an amazing testimony of what God can do when you just persevere, you stick with it, and you just keep after it until until you accomplish what God has called you to do. 
My goodness. Share a little bit about some of the difficulties that you went through uh, when it looked like you couldn't go on, when when you made mistakes, when there were problems and, and you had opportunities, I'm sure like most people, to quit. Share about how you got through those times. Well, we had an F4 tornado hit the downtown area where that old building was, our, our second building, the police building. And it decimated the entire city of Clarksville. It was uh, historic, really. And it was on the news. It was on the Weather Channel. And, and uh, that uh, it didn't take our building out, which was a miracle. It was the most fragile building in the entire area. There were big buildings built with, of concrete that got blown out. But that tornado just went right over the top of our little building. But it did cause some water damage because our roof had some leaks in it. And we had to move out. And we were out for eight weeks. And we were in a, a high school gym. And during that time, uh, they, you know, we were trying to get everything fixed and we started to get ready to repair to go back in. And the city came to us and said, you'll never go back in. The building's out of code. Uh, we're shutting you down. You'll never, ever even uh, drive one nail down there to fix that sanctuary to open it back up. Well, I had been a house painter for 20 years. So I want to encourage anybody that's out there today that's still working a regular job that's a minister or pastor. I was still, I'd been working for 20 years as a house painter, and I developed a great relationship with our general contractor. So I called him and I said, Jimmy, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're, they're not going to let me go back in that building. They're not going to give me a permit to, to build it. And he said to me, is that what they told you? I said, it is. And 15 minutes later, he wrote up, he said, I have a permit. And in the morning, we're going to work. And he got a crew together and he didn't charge me anything for his own services as a general contractor, only had to pay the subs. And we put that building back together and we stayed there for two more years until we were able to finally acquire the property and, of course, build the big buildings that you've been in and you've seen here out on the interstate. Well, now, it was a challenge. Now, that takes faith. And I think that may be one reason why you call the church faith outreach. Your faith was reaching out to believe God to do what it looked like was impossible when the city of Clarksville said, there's no way you're not going back. And that's a tremendous witness and a testimony to anyone watching who's, whether you're in ministry or not, who's faced a no in your life. And it looked like there's no way because the, the people said no. But God can make a way where there seems to be no way. The scripture says he'll make a way in the wilderness and he'll make a river in the desert. And I thank God that he did that. Now, since then, of course, you built this brand new building. Share a little bit about how you built that building. And now you're in that building right on the interstate. Well, we, uh, we looked at three or four pieces of property when we were downtown in the old police building. We started to look for property then. We actually, made, we actually put a bid in on a piece of property, and uh, they began to move back towards our offer. It was, of course, under what they had uh, put it up for. But just before they accepted our last offer, and they were going to accept it, the Lord spoke to my wife and said, Don't, do not take that. Take it off the table right now. Call the real estate agent. And I said to her, Honey, those 10 acres on the, on the interstate. And she said, no, I just, I'm uneasy about it. So we took that offer off the table. It went completely quiet for about three months. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've missed God. We totally missed God. And I kept thinking, my wife has missed God, you know, on this <laughs> one. And uh, then one day we had a guy that, that his, uh, some of his family was attending our church and he happened to be the trustee in the city. He called me up downtown at the old building where we were still at. And he said, William, I know about a piece of property. I'd like to bring you the survey. I've got the, I've got everything right here. I'd like to show you the survey of this property and it's available and I'd like to show it to you. He walked down to, to the church and I'd already said to the Lord, 
Lord, if you're going to give us property now, you're going to have to bring it to me. I'd already said that a couple of weeks before. Well, he brought that piece of property down on paper, of course, to survey. We looked at it and we said, oh, my goodness. And then when he told us what they wanted for it, uh, three people had bought it in this really exclusive neighborhood. They did not want um, shops and stuff. They only wanted either a church or a school to buy this property. He showed it to me. And my heart, once again, left inside of me. I knew it was our property. We put in our bid. They accepted a very, very low bid. And then we began the process of putting together some funds to uh, to get and then get the additional finance and to build our first buildings. So that's how we arrived at this incredible piece of property, 30 acres on the interstate on I-24. First piece of property into Clarksville. If you're coming from Nashville, you'll see the Clarksville exit and you'll look over from the interstate. You'll see it. And that's how we got it. Now, one other quick little piece of thing that's really important here, if anybody's listening, is about seven years ago, another pastor down the road uh, had decided to retire. And he asked us if we wanted to uh, take his church, a small church, much smaller than ours, and it had 10 acres on the interstate. And we prayed about it. He said, here, and the price was incredible. So we felt like God wanted us to do it. And we did it. And the 10 acres that we got down the road was right across from the 10 acres that we were making a bid on years before that we decided not to get. So we not only got our cake, but we got to eat it too because we just waited on the Lord and we just trusted God to give us the property. So we have a second location and we now have two pieces of property on the interstate. Sometimes when you get what seems like a delay and a no, it's easy to get discouraged and feel like that God has left you or that you've left God and you've made some kind of mistake. But if you just keep praying and believing like Pastor William and Ginger did, God then shows up with the right piece of property and then even brings something along alongside to show you that that first thing for sure uh, wasn't a missing of God in your life. And Pastor Williams, that's a that's a tremendous, tremendous story. Can you share uh, some of the about some of the books that you've written and some of the hard topics that you've written, such as as the book you wrote about grace? Well, you know, I think I didn't know I was going to be an author. I never had that thought inside of me that I would be a writer or an author. But I love reading books and I have an extensive library and I've always been a reader even before I became a Christian. And of course, you know, my testimony, that's a different issue. My education, I left it when I was a teenager and had to go back and regather that, and you know, earn all these degrees I have now. It wasn't always that way. So I didn't always have all these degrees I have now, but but I was a reader and uh Somehow out of the middle of all that, I began to see the need for certain books to be written and I would go online and try to find them and I would find very little. And if there were any books available, most of them were what I'd call word and faith based. So I felt like the Lord said, tag, you're it. So <laughs> I started I started to write, not knowing what I was doing at all. And before I knew it, I had a couple of devotionals. I have a morning devotional called Wake Up With The Word. I also have a nighttime devotional called Turn In With The Word. So you start with the word and you end with the word. And before you know it, other subjects begin to come out of me. And one of them, of course, was this message of grace that I think, uh, in my opinion, in the last few years has been misrepresented on some fronts. Of course, we all know we're saved by grace, but, um, but I think that there's been a misrepresentation of it. And so the Lord told me to write this book called Disgraceful Grace. And it's really based on the fact of how we've taken grace and we've really abused it and misrepresented it. I know you know the scriptures as I do in the book of Jude, where it even gives us caution about abusing grace and so on and so forth. 
So I put that book out there. And uh, uh, the thing about it is people see the cover and it's a guy and he's, he's happy and he's got a drink in his hand. He looks like he's at a gambling table because it's basically saying this is kind of like what seem, some people are preaching, that you can go out and live the worldly lifestyle and don't worry about it. You're covered by grace. But when you open up the book cover and begin to read, you find out that God's expecting more out of us when we become Christians than we were when we were sinners. There's supposed to be a difference now. And that grace is supposed to give us the power. Mm-hmm. to live the Christian life, not the liberty to go live the sinner life again. To whom much is given, much is required. Yes. That's, uh, that's very important, and I, I appreciate so very much. When I read that book, it was a blessing to me, and I know it'll be a blessing to others. Now, how can people go on your website and order your books? Well, they can go to faithoutreach.org, faithoutreach.org, or they can go to our Facebook, Faith Outreach Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, to our Facebook page. And I think they have all the books on there. Uh, I wrote another one called Eternity Past to Eternity Future. Now that one was a fun one to write because I like science and I was, thought I was going to be a meteorologist when I was a young man before <laughs> I messed up my education. And uh, I still mess around every day and post a little weather report locally here and all of our people have fun with it. Um, but I love science. So I wrote this book called Eternity Past to Eternity Future because I went back and looked at some things about, you know, is there a space between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1 and 2, as some people believe there are, and kind of look at that. And then we just dove into the science. And, and you know, we found out that science and the Bible are not incompatible. Right. Uh, science, true science, is when they discover what God's already made. That's what really true science is. I mean, true science is when you discover something like when we discovered, you know, uh, the law of gravity or even that there were such things as atoms and so on and so forth. Well, they always existed. God made all of that, but true science finally discovers it. So I had some fun with that book. We called Eternity Past, Eternity Future. We talked about what if in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 1 was the story of our beginning, but what if there was some time before that? Because, of course, the Bible says from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we really went into the Bible and chose to dig out some scriptures and just put it out there for people to think about. So those are just a couple of things that I've done and I've written. Um, I just wrote a book on forgiveness, the art of forgiveness, because I really believe if we don't get that right, our prayer life will always be subpar if we don't understand uh, the art of forgiveness. So those are some of the things I've been writing. That's the book you sent home with me just a few weeks ago, and I appreciate that yes. very much. Who has been influential in your life and in your ministry? Who are your mentors? Who have you looked to as spiritual coverings? Well, you know, being born again in a small Pentecostal church, I didn't have a lot of fathers there uh, to personally latch on to. And that is one of the dilemmas of sometimes being in a smaller church. And so I didn't have a lot of personal hands-on training. And that was difficult for me as a young minister getting basically thrown into the ministry. So I had to look more nationally. Mm -hmm. And in the late 70s, that's when I began to hear the message of faith preached by, first of all, your dad, who I think is probably the the granddad of all of that. And uh, and then, of course, people like Brother Copeland and Brother Hagan and some of these guys, I began to listen to that message. And even though I didn't know these people personally, I found out that the word of God would give me a connection with them. It was almost like I knew them, even though I'd never met them because I'd hear them preach the word, and then I would go and find it in the Bible, and it would become life to me. So uh, in those early days, I had to do it almost vicariously through their books, your your father's books, Brother Copeland's. I had six tapes of Brother Copeland's that I 
I mean, I, $30 to me in 1978 was like 300000 to me. I didn't have any money, but I sent off for them. And I ordered these tapes and I played them over and over and over and over. I still have them. And I had to break them apart so many times because they'd become broken and I'd have to re-splice the tape and glue the cases back together. Um, and I was desperate to learn the word of God and get it in my heart. And it wasn't until really the uh, early 90s when I had an actual pastor who started to help me. And then later on in the mid 90s, I developed a relationship with Dr. Mark T. Barkley, and uh, and we are actually ordained through his ministry, of course, out of Midland, Michigan. Yes. So that's kind of a little bit of the how I've gotten to where I'm at. It was a lonely road for a long time. I really didn't have that one person in my life that really helped me. Um, it is said that everybody has some hobby. Everybody has some outlet in their life that they enjoy. With me, uh, my dad put a golf club in my hand when I was five years old, and he and I played hundreds of rounds of golf together as father and son as I was growing up in those years, and I became a, a junior golfer and won a number of tournaments. And then, of course, I thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life and sing, but I wound up uh, having the call of God in my life and becoming a minister. But everyone has a, a hobby. Now, you have one of the most unusual hobbies, you collect pinball machines, and I want you to talk a little bit about that because I I want to see a gleam in your eye because I I went into your special man cave as you called it, and I saw those pinball machines that you have down there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because we may have some pinball lovers. I mean, he's got some ancient ones as well. Yeah, well, um, when I was a teenage young man, of course, in the seventies, pinball was huge. I mean, you go into a bowling alley, there'd be pinball machines. You go into these little burger stands and they'd have pinball machines. So almost everywhere you went, there was a pinball machine. Well, we didn't have a lot of money, but I would mow grass for my neighbors and whatever and get a few quarters in my pocket. And I would head to the wherever the pinball machine was and I would play them. And I just loved playing them. I just I got so much enjoyment out of it. I didn't think much about it. And then um, in the late 90s and early 2000s, all of a sudden, there was a pinball machine that became available. I'd already picked up one old one a few years before and another one became available. And we decided, my wife said, well, you need to get that. You enjoy playing that. And I said, well, I'm going to make. And then uh, Dr. Barkley told me that Brother Hagen had one. So that gave me the green. <laughs> I felt like if Brother Hagen had one, I could have one. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, so, so we bought this pinball machine and it was it happened to be one that I used to play on when I was a young man. I remember playing this one particular machine and there are, literally hundreds and hundreds of them. But I played this one particular one. And here it was, I bought this thing and I brought it home and it played perfectly. And I thought I could never as a young man have imagined when I was playing that pinball machine, scraping up a quarter to go play it, that I would be in my own house with that pinball machine playing it whenever I want to later on. <laughs> so that started me on the road. And in the last several years, it seems like they've sort of Every time I turn around, one is in my path. And so it's like, well, I've had to move things around and shift things around in my basement. But here you go. I've got, I want to say six, maybe six, seven pinball machines and a couple of really, really neat ones. Well, I played on a couple of them. <laughs> yes. Yes, you did. Uh, it was fun. Uh, Pastor, uh, what would you say to a young man or young woman right now who is seeking God about their future? They feel a call of God on their life in the ministry to pastor or perhaps on the evangelistic field or the mission field or some other area of ministry, uh, and, and they're, they're struggling in launching out. What would you say to them? Well, the first thing, obviously, is you cannot go wrong with the Word of God. 
just stay in that word because what happened as we know uh, god spoke in the garden of eden and said to satan that one day uh, a child's going to be born and he's going to take back the authority that you've stolen from and been given over by adam and eve and so on and so forth and god said that over and over and over and over for you know many centuries and then the bible says something really awesome that i love in the new testament it said the word became flesh in other words the word manifested yes and if we'll stick with the word long enough and not get discouraged, just keep speaking the word, standing on the word, saying the word, believing the word. I mean, it's a sure thing. We don't know when, but it will manifest. At some point, a door will open. At some point, an opportunity will come. At some point, God will put you in relationship with the right person at the right time. And then really, that's just the beginning of where God will take you. Just get in that word, stick with it and believe it. Don't worry about what's going on around you. The results are, are God's. You can't make that happen, but they're on God's side. But we are expected to stay in that word and pray it and keep saying it out of our mouths. Well, that's, faith. that's exactly how I entered the healing ministry. I just kept believing it. I kept saying it. Lindsay, my wife, stood right by my side, and we just kept praying it, kept saying it, kept believing it until it became a reality. Now, I wasn't in charge of the agenda of when it happened. My job was to pray and believe. It was God's job to come through. And oftentimes we, we want him to do it our way, but he, yes. he, he prefers to do it his way. And his way is always right. And I yes. thank God for that. Pastor, there are people that are watching uh, as well as listening right now who are uh, unable to watch, but they are in need of prayer. And I'd like to ask you if you would pray the prayer of faith over people right now. Yes. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you right now for every person who's listening no matter what's going on in their lives, no matter where they're at, no matter what kind of giants they may be facing. Father, I thank you that right now in the name of Jesus, by the power of the great Holy Spirit of God, that you'll begin to move in their midst. I thank you, Father, that them listening to this broadcast is not coincidental. It is a divine appointment. And Father, with it is coming faith now in their heart that they can latch onto, where they can believe and make a stand of faith in their own lives. I thank you for healing sick bodies right now. In Jesus' name, healing to manifest by great measure, healings of all manner. I thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so he is still healing today. I thank you for lifting heavy burdens, for lifting off the garment of heaviness, giving them the garment of praise. I thank you, Father God, that even if they're in a season of weeping, that they'll doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them, that joy is coming. The morning is coming in their lives, and the joy is coming. Father, strengthen them in their inner man and let them know that you have been listening. Even if they don't know it, if they don't even, there's no evidence on the outside. Father, remind them you are listening. That's why they are actually tuned into this broadcast. Thank you, Father God, for being who you are in 2021. We have no fear. We have no reservations. We're standing boldly on the word of God. And we thank you, Father, that it shall come to pass in our lives as you have spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. And I set my faith in an agreement with that prayer because faith, my friend, is what you hold on to until you receive exactly what you're believing for. That's what he's saying. That's what I'm saying. And that's what the word of God says. And I add my prayers to his prayers. I come against every satanic attack that has tried to attack you in your life. I bind it and curse it in the name of Jesus and send the word of God to you for healing in every area of your life. I take authority now over every sickness and disease, every fear, every doubt, every anxious moment, every worry, 
every disillusionment, every disappointment, every discouragement in the name of Jesus, every depression. And I believe God for your healing. And I send the word to you. I believe God that you can be healed right where you are in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray this and set my faith in an agreement with this word for you today. This is your day. And I am expecting something good from God to happen to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for joining me today. And Pastor, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. My special love to to your dear wife, Ginger, and your daughter, Rachel, her husband, uh, your granddaughter, and all those who are a part of that church. They were so, so kind to me. Say a good special hello to my good friend, El Greco, (laughs) and all those that are are, uh, with you there in Clarksville. And thank you today for joining me. Join me next week for another exciting time here on Expect a Miracle with Richard. Roberts. This Expect a Miracle podcast with Richard Roberts is supported by the donations of the friends and partners of Oral Roberts Ministries. If you would like to support this or other outreaches of this ministry, please go to oralroberts.com. We believe when you give to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, your giving will be abundantly multiplied back to you according to God's word in Luke 638.